1: Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. And, you know, we always try to talk football here. We try to keep the topic to football at Big Blue View as much as we can. But in the current times, we have to to expand a little bit. We have to talk about what's going on around us. We have to discuss the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on the 2020 NFL season. Here today to help me do that are Dr. Zach Binney, epidemiologist who studies sports injury patterns at Oxford College of Emory University, and Dr. Jill Weatherford, assistant professor of adult and pediatric infectious diseases at Baylor College of Medicine. Thank you guys very, very much for joining me today.
2: Thank you for having us.
1: Yes, thank you. Hey, you know, this is obviously, obviously an, an important topic. And just let me throw out, generically, we know that, uh, that the NFL is planning on opening its training camps on July 28th. They want to go ahead with as normal a regular season as they possibly can. Are we kidding ourselves at this point, you know, that that, that the NFL can have a, a normal season or a somewhat normal season and, and can open, you know, on time and, and and have everything go, you know, swimmingly, I guess?
3: Oh, I don't think there's going to be anything normal about this season for any sport, uh, the NFL included. Uh but, you know, I'm still somewhat optimistic that uh, they can, with the enormous resources that the NFL has, <clears throat> that they can put together a plan that's going to be workable to start the season on time and hopefully finish it. But um, with the level of disease that we have in the U.S. right now, uh, that's going to be really, really difficult Uh and it, the plan is going to have to be very strict and a lot stricter than what we see in many other parts of the world. Like, for example, uh, Germany was able to bring uh, their Bundesliga, their main soccer league, back <clears throat> several weeks ago. And that uh, proceeded basically fine. Uh, and they were you know, testing their players, I believe, a couple of times a week. Uh, but they were living at home and playing in home markets. And they... You know, they did it without fans still, but but they were able to get back to at least fanless televised sports um, without too much trouble. Uh, I don't think it's going to be as easy uh, here in the United States. And we can talk more about what might be required, but I want to get uh, Dr. Weatherhead's take on all this too.
2: Yeah, I think one thing we have to start thinking about as a country and come to the realization altogether is that we're not going back to a to normal this is going back to a new normal where we're going to have to make changes to how we're conducting our lives and and that's universal so that includes at work that includes schools and that it especially includes uh sports and and activities that we like to do um for leisure as well so there there can't be a normal season. There can be a new normal where we make adjustments or the NFL makes adjustments to provide a, um, a situation that is safe um, and that provides that entertainment that everybody wants and needs um, for their uh, mental security as well. And to have some uh, fun and entertainment, but it can't be done in the way that we have done it for years in the past. It has to be adjusted to provide a safe environment, not only for the players and the staff, but for the communities in which these.
1: Have you guys had the opportunity to take a a decent look at, at the plan that the NFL has put forth so far? I'm curious, you know, for thoughts on, uh, on that plan, if you've had a chance to study it and uh, you know what, what the NFL intends to try to do. I don't think we have the
3: details that we need to judge the NFL's plan yet. They've put out, you know, uh, guidance documents on how to reopen facilities and how many people can be there at a time and, you know, whether you should be wearing masks and hygiene practices and all of that. But, but what's really going to be important and which uh, we haven't seen yet uh, is going to be how much testing they plan to do, how frequent that is, and if they're going to do any kind of sequestering of players to limit contact between people in the league and people outside of the league. Particularly in markets where there's rampant viral spread, like right now the Cowboys, the Texans, the Dolphins, uh, maybe the Jaguars, uh, the Cardinals. These are all areas where I think in order to operate without uh, just too many cases coming in, despite your best efforts, forcing the team to shut down. I think you need what I'm calling a home market bubble, where maybe you get a couple of hotel blocks together and you create this closed loop between where players are living and the stadium. And that's going to be really psychologically difficult uh, and a, and a huge social and logistical and, and economic burden. But I think it might be the only way that you can play in markets where the outbreak is exploding. And I think that um, at least some NFL markets are going to look like that for the foreseeable future. You know, when we try to predict where it's going to be good or where it's going to be bad, we're, we're trying to, to borrow a metaphor from another sport. We're trying to skate to where the puck is going to be while we're blindfolded. Um, And that's really hard. So you've got to have plans in place, probably equal across the board to be equitable that, um, that cover reasonable, uh, bad case scenarios. And I, I think that an outbreak uh, within the team is is one scenario that's quite likely if you're trying to operate in an area with rampant viral spread, but you're having players and staff living at home and you're just kind of relying on the honor system uh, for people not to go out to bars Or uh, or anything like that, or do anything irresponsible that could get them sick and and bring the virus then into the team. I had the same problem with uh, MLB's plan, uh, which I think is is going to lead to them having to suspend the season. If I had to guess.
2: So I I want to um, emphasize a few things that Dr. Vinny had mentioned that you know we're from multiple different um, professional sports. We're seeing these protocols being. Um, published, and they're very detailed, they're very comprehensive, and it's appreciated they're taking the time to think through the issue. Um, And so from a professional sports standpoint, because they have the resources, these things are are possible, but it goes beyond these protocols, right? So these are community members that are going to be interacting with other individuals. So it's not just healthy athletes that are coming together to have sports. They are going back out into the community. They are traveling to other communities. And so it's critical that the NFL understands the interactions that these players and staff and coaches, everybody who's involved, their role in our greater transmission dynamics in our community. So if you're traveling between different states and those transmission dynamics are varied, So you're going to a place that has high transmission and you're bringing it back to your community. Now you're going to put your community in a situation where they may become the next hotspot. So even though you may not, your community may not have active transmission, all this travel, interactions with other people, put put your community at risk, put that community at risk. So it goes well beyond just the players and the coaches that these protocols are trying to keep safe, which are appreciated that they're putting in that effort. Um, and it's and it's feasible from the professional standpoint because they have those resources available. Um, but it goes beyond that. We have to start thinking about the bigger priorities. Start thinking about how this affects everybody, and when do we want this to be over?
3: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we often tend to focus on um, you know what are the responsibilities of leagues, and we focus on well, you got to provide a safe environment for the players and coaches, and not create. A threat to their health. That is absolutely true. but even bigger than that for me is you cannot be creating a situation that is a threat to public health. That is an even greater priority uh, that every league needs to be thinking about.
1: You know along that line, the 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 states of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and obviously you know covering the Giants they play in New Jersey um, they recently issued travel advisory, um, you know, recommending quarantine. You know, for anyone who comes into the state, I believe for you know for two weeks. And my thought is, most of the players and coaches who are part of the Giants organization don't live in New Jersey, and I don't at this point have an understanding of how that works within the NFL environment. Uh, can you guys shed any light on that? I mean, is there an exception for, you know, for work or or NFL players, or do we know how that works?
2: So um, that's an important point. And also to remember that that's going to evolve over the rest of the summer and in the fall. So, you know, right now we're seeing hot spots in the South, right? So we're seeing Houston, where I'm at, having major uptick in cases. You're seeing it in Arizona and Georgia and Florida. And so those restrictions are constantly going to be evolving. And so there has to be um, plans in place to mitigate that. And I don't think it's appropriate that certain people would be outside of those uh, obligations and regulations that uh, football players and staff wouldn't have to adhere to that same uh, standard that the rest of the general public needs to adhere to. And that's in order to keep community safe again. So that has to be our priority moving forward is how do we keep community safe? And if we're telling people they can't travel, then athletes should not be able to travel either. And how the NFL is going to mitigate that, especially knowing that future travel restrictions in other areas will probably put, be put into place. It's going to be a moving target. Um, and so it's, it, I don't know how you, you get around that. Um, I don't think you should be able to get, get around that, to be honest. Uh, especially in the climate that we're at, and that we're seeing massive increase in cases all over, particularly the South currently.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, But I will say that based on uh, some reporting around MLB, uh, which has the same kind of issue, it seems like uh, Governor Cuomo in New York is willing to work with teams who need to come and play uh, the Mets or the Yankees uh, from areas with rampant spread and sort of exempting them from this 14-day quarantine requirement. And and I can see some justification for that. We we should not be issuing exceptions because you're in MLB or because you're in the NFL. But I could see an argument if everybody is being tested, you know, every day or every other day and you can create a reasonable expectation that you are not bringing anyone with the virus uh, from those rampant areas into areas like New York or New Jersey, uh, who rightly uh, want to protect uh, what they've worked so hard uh, to do in terms of uh, uh, reducing the amount of virus that they have. They, they should defend that and they have every right to. Uh, so, you know, if you're a league and you're testing very, very frequently. And ideally, if you're if you've also established a bubble like a home market bubble, then I think you could argue that the risk of those particular people uh, bringing the virus into uh, New York or New Jersey would be fairly low. And maybe you can flex on that a little bit, especially if you institute regulations like when they fly in, they take up they go to an executive airport, they take a private bus to a hotel there, are, there is security. They do not leave that hotel. They go to the game, and then they go back to the executive airport, and they leave, right, so that there really is no contact between those people coming into the area and that community. But some combination of that and knowing that these uh, players and staff are being tested regularly and especially if uh, they are put in a bubble uh, in those areas – Um, I I think I could see the justification for for loosening that, but it has to be done very carefully, very deliberately, and based on whether you think these players and staff coming in are low risk, not just because, well, it's the NFL, we're going to write an exception.
1: And that bubble also would include travel back and forth to to games, correct?
3: Right. So the theory with establishing home market bubbles would be um, you've got – you know, hotels and the team facilities and the stadium. And those are the only three places you go if the team has a separate practice facility. Uh, As far as travel goes, you know, if you did it entirely charter out of executive airports, everybody on the flight crews are tested regularly. I don't know that the risk would be super high, but you do still have to be worried about spreading the virus from, a community that has rampant spread to an area that's done a decent job and where I'm really worried about that is college football where they don't have the resources to um to do the testing or the ability to create any kind of bubble um I'm really worried about a college team bringing the virus uh into an area that had done a decent job I, I think the NFL could set up a protocol that minimizes that risk but I don't know Dr. Weatherhead uh, might disagree and that's fine
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I've been talking about this as well, that the professional sports have an opportunity to make this happen. So they have the resources to potentially invest quite a bit of, of money and effort and time into making this as safe as possible. So there there is a chance that this could work. But, again, it has to be that bubble feel where it's um, – preventing really any interaction with the community. If there's going to be travel involved, I, I do not feel confident about the, the college side of things that Dr. Penny had mentioned because of the lack of resources and the ability to prevent uh, significant interactions with the community. And so, um, you know, sports, we all want sports to come back. I think professional sports have the best chance um, and, but that has to be done very, very carefully. And again, not having any interaction with the community is going to be the only way to do that.
1: I think that one of the things that we have to talk about is the the idea of of acceptable risk. You know, no matter what the NFL does, no matter what the NBA does or or MLB does, there are going to be positive test results. There are going to be, you know, players who who get COVID-19. So you know for me my question is you know you have three quarterbacks on a team maybe on a, on the Giants 90 man roster right now they have 5 and these guys generally meet you know within a within one room um, so I guess my question becomes for an NFL team what's an acceptable level of risk to have a team continue to go out there and travel and play is it maybe two positive tests within a a coaching staff and a in a team three four ten yeah what point do you say you know it's fairly obvious everyone on this team has been exposed and and may be carrying this virus whether they're testing positive or not at what point do you say we have to shut this team down is there a is there a threshold
2: Yeah, I'll let uh, Dr. Binney specifically talk about the threshold as as an epidemiologist. But what I can say from a physician and as a scientist is is if there's any risk, and we've been talking about this a lot, if there's any risk to the community at all, it has to shut down. So any risk of introducing more virus into a community, it's done. It's a non-starter. Again, if you go down the path that Dr. Binney's been mentioning about creating this more bubble atmosphere where it's contained within Um, this group of people, then you start to look at how can you contain it? Can you prevent um, people who have been exposed and put them into quarantine so that you can stop any further spread? Um, What that number is within a team, I will, I will let Dr. Binney comment on that, but um, it certainly, as you see one or two cases needs to be a red flag, that something's going on Um, halting production of what you're doing and really investigating putting the time in to understand what the transmission dynamics are within that team um, and what can be done to mitigate future spread. But I'll let Dr. Benning go on about that.
3: Yeah, I've, uh, I've thought about this a lot and uh, sorry to put a plug in the middle of the show, but um, I wrote a whole blog post about this uh, just a couple of days ago on my personal website, NFL injury analytics.com. If you'd like to go there and read it, uh, but I'll give you the summary here, which is, um, <clears throat> we have to think about a couple of things in terms of how many cases is too many. One is uh, epidemiologists love to think in what we call counterfactuals. So what happens when the NFL restarts versus what would have happened if they didn't restart. Now we're not going to see what happens if they don't try to restart, I would suspect. So, Uh, you need to know, are they creating a higher risk environment for players and staff or the public health uh, by starting? So how do you determine whether you've created a higher risk environment? I think that the best we have is when you do your initial round of testing before players report back to their facilities, you look at what percentage of players and staff are testing positive. And I think you can set that as your threshold. Okay, probably a threshold a little bit lower than that. So, if, like in the NBA and the NHL, 5% of your players tested positive uh, in the first round, then you would say, okay, as long as every two weeks, 4% of our players and staff or lower are testing positive, then arguably we have created a safer environment or at least an environment that is not creating higher risk than these. players and staff were experiencing in their daily lives in the community before they came back. So the first thing you have to do is stay below that level league-wide. The second thing you have to worry about, though, are outbreaks. That's where if I see three or four cases on a team in rapid succession, like in the space of a few days, I'm shutting that team down because you've got the potential – for an outbreak, and those three or four could turn into 20. So even if league-wide you're kind of below that higher risk threshold, it's not just about the raw number of cases. It's about how they're distributed. And as soon as I see a cluster, I worry about intra-team spread and I wanna shut that team down. If I see those kinds of clusters on multiple teams, that's where I get to the point of maybe we should shut the whole league down for a couple of weeks. So that's how I look at it. Now, the other main question with this is, Everybody wants this um, objective red line, right? What's the red line? How many cases is too many? And I think the situation is a little more complex and leagues have been resistant to draw that red line. And I kind of understand why, because you've got to worry about the number of cases in the league, how they're distributed, the number of cases uh, in your community, uh, the testing availability, hospitalizations. It's this whole situation, this whole context that, that you're working in, and you would like to have somebody who can synthesize all of that together and make a go-no-go no, go decision. There's no way to choose just one number, I think, and say, you know, that's, that's our line for a go-no-go no, go decision. So who is synthesizing all of that information and making that decision? You would like to think that that would be a local or state public health department, I will say, my faith in those agencies is uneven across the country at this point. Not because anybody working there is not doing the absolute best they can, but just because I, I have more faith in in some departments and some state governments than others. Some are going to have a high, much higher risk tolerance than others. Let's let's put it that way. So then, you know, do you vest this power in the commissioner? then I'm nervous that with the amount of money on the line, you're going to be tempted to push it further than you should, right? I mean, that's just – let's be realistic, right? Let's be realistic. Let's well, this, be honest this, with ourselves. This, the so is, could you set up an independent anyway. board maybe? I'm sorry?
1: I, I was going to say the bottom line is they're playing because it's about money anyway.
3: The bottom line is there's a lot of money involved. That's right. So um, could you set up maybe an independent board – of experts who have no affiliation with the NFL, no expectation of any affiliations with the NFL or any league, you pay them in advance and you empower them unilaterally to say, shut this team down or shut this league down. I think that would be a very moral and ideal model. Uh, I don't think it's particularly likely, but it's one that I would advocate for the league to, uh, to at least consider because that avoids having to set a strict objective red line that the public can hold you to, which would be ideal, but is very difficult. And it also avoids that that temptation to push forward when you know you really shouldn't. And hopefully that will help you avoid, by the way, a a truly catastrophic situation, uh, like spread to the public uh, an outbreak that's traced back to an NFL team. I mean, that would just be it would be horrible from a human and a moral perspective, and it would also be awful from an optics perspective. So I think there's, there's some self-interest. There's a self-interest argument here uh, as well. The last thing that I'll say about this, and I'm, I'm sorry, I have a lot of thoughts on this topic, is it's not just about cases. Even if you didn't have any cases, like take the NBA for example, even if the NBA had no cases in its bubble, would they be able to continue 100%? I say no. Because they're operating in Orlando, which right now has a very high test positive rate, for example. So if that gets much higher, you're really into the point where the community around you doesn't have enough tests for the people who need them. And you're sitting there in your bubble testing everybody every day. I'm just saying at some point, You have to wake up and you have to look yourself in the mirror and you have to say, is it okay for us to continue to use all of these tests when the community around us needs them? And it's not your fault that they don't have enough, right? Maybe you even, you spent the money to create more tests than there would have been otherwise, and you donated some of them to the community. And I think that's what every league is doing, and I applaud them for that. But... At some point, you still have to look at the situation around you and go, in good conscience, can we continue doing all of these tests if the community needs them? And I think that's a question that at least one market has a good chance of facing this season. So I, I worry about that as well.
1: And The last part of this that I really wanted to address with you guys is uh, is the fans. And, Dr. Binney, I know that you you wrote about this as well recently. Dr. Weatherhead, I also want to make sure that you weigh in on this. I mean, the, it's really a two-part question. When can we expect to, quote-unquote, normally, you know, be able to go back to watching sporting events? And the second part of that question is we've seen some teams in some states say, well if we fill stadiums to 20% capacity, maybe that'll work or 50% capacity, maybe we can allow that. Um, So it's, it's when, when do we think fans can go back normally? And if teams want to try to do this, where they allow, you know, maybe X percentage of fans, does that have a chance of working? Um, So I,
2: just to be generally, I don't think there is a ethical way to have everybody come back and do normal activities, including fans and in stadiums, until there is a vaccine available and until there's therapeutic options available. Um, it's, it is very dangerous to bring large groups of people who are yelling and screaming in close contact with each other, both in the stadium and coming in, leaving the stadium, uh, it is a recipe for a major outbreak to occur. So I think until there are interventions available, therapeutic interventions, including vaccinations available, it's not responsible to do that. Um, I also think that, you know, we're coming up with all of these plans and contingencies of how we can get fans in the stadium. And there are communities out there that are really suffering right now. And it's it's difficult to hear arguments of getting fanned into stadiums when our hospital systems are overflowing and people are dying and getting very sick from this disease. And so I am in full support of, um, leagues getting together and coming up with plans. But I think the first step is get the players playing. Let's see how things go. Let's see where this pandemic goes before we start bringing in the community members, um, into the stadiums and putting, putting them at risk. So, there's just a lot we need to learn. There's a lot we don't know. Uh, and if we want sports to get going again, we have to start without fans. And eventually, once things get under control, because this virus is completely out of control right now, um, maybe we can start having those discussions. But at this point, I think it's it would be irresponsible to bring fans into stadiums.
3: Yeah, I don't care for it. Zero fans. Zero fans until we have a vaccine. And I'll tell you why every step that we take back towards normality has a risk and a benefit associated with it. Okay. We never shut grocery stores, right? That's because going to a grocery store has risk, but the benefits outweigh that, right? I get food. When you talk about bringing sports back without fans, I really think there's a good case to be made for real benefits, economic, psychological, uh, helps the public see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, gives you something you can do at home that's safe, right? Watch the game on TV. That's great. Do as much of that as you want. You've got you've got my full uh, uh, excuse and pardon to do as much of that as you want uh, when we get sports back on TV. When you start talking about fans, you lose me, okay? Because without fans, I think you can generate a plan where the risk – is if you do the right plan where the risk is below the benefit of sports uh, for sports without fans, but when you start talking about fans, you're adding a whole lot of risk, including to the public. Uh, and all you're getting is financial benefit for the league. I don't care for it. It's not worth it to me. Um, I want to address another point that's often brought up in concert with this, which is, well, personal responsibility. Well, you know, uh, hey, it's it's all about your personal risk tolerance, right? You want to go to a football game, uh, great. Uh, you don't want to go, well, that's, that's your choice. That's fine, don't go. But with infectious diseases, your personal choices aren't just your personal choices, right? I'll give you an example. I can choose not to go to a Texas A&M football game in the fall. I can't choose not to go to a grocery store with somebody who went to a Texas A&M football game. So you're creating the opportunity for a super spreader event, and that could affect me even though I chose not to go, okay? So I think there have to be some activities that we recognize are very high risk, and we simply need to not have those until we have a vaccine. Those would be uh, stadiums with vans, concerts, uh, indoor conventions uh, of any kind, all of these You know, these are the lowest hanging fruit, the lowest hanging pieces that we can, the lowest, the easiest things that we can do to keep COVID 19 under control. And if we can't agree on those, I mean, I I don't know, man. I think there's a lot of steps we can take and a lot of things we can do. Uh, Above and beyond what we were doing like when we were under lockdown and there were stay-at-home orders a couple of months ago, right? But but we need to have a rational conversation about what's low and medium risk and we can allow to come back and what's high and super high risk that we just cannot have, okay? And I think that sports with fans is one of those high-risk things. Um, Even if you only do partial capacity, I don't like that either because you've got... Entry, You've got exit. I'm sorry. You think a bunch of fans at any sporting event are going to obey uh, the an exit time, especially if their team like loses or wins at the last second, they're going to obey their exit time. you got to be kidding me. You think any league is going to actually police mask wearing? Do you think at what percentage of people do you think who go to a game are going to wear masks because you're selecting for people who have a higher risk tolerance What about bathrooms and beer lines and concession lines, even in outdoor stadiums? What about indoor concourses? I just I can't imagine having any plan that is reasonably safe that allows fans. And, uh, you know, we hear all the time, hey, hey, we're setting up strict protocols, right? We're we're prioritizing health and the health and safety of our fans. No, if you were prioritizing the health and safety of your fans, you would have no fans. That is the only acceptable answer to me until we have a vaccine. There's a lot of stuff that we can do, but there are a few things that that we just can't do. And I hope that that everybody understands that this is one
1: of them. Dr. Benny, Dr. Weatherhead, I think that's a really, really good place for us to, uh, to call it a day here. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to... Uh to educate us on this and uh, going forward if uh, if I if I have more questions maybe I'll reach back out to you guys but again I really appreciate your, your spending some time with me today
2: yeah, thank you very much for having me
3: yeah absolutely Ed. my pleasure thank you very much and all my best to your listeners be well and stay safe
1: alright Giants fans uh, as Dr. Benny said be well stay safe wear a mask take care of yourself Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye now.